You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 30, the show for February 2016, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me for this very busy month of Apple news, I have a fabulous panel, as always. Um, from somewhere in the United States of America, we have Guy Searle from the My Mac podcast with us. Hi, Guy. Hello, Bart. How are you? Actually, I have a sore throat and a head cold, so I'm not oh, sure well, podcasting I, is a great idea, but hey. Well, I, I still I have kind of the sore throat myself, but uh, other than that, doing just great. Yeah. Uh, actually, where are you? Are you like East Coast, West Coast, Middle Coast? Me? I'm I'm uh, just outside of DC. Okay, that's East Coast. That's five hours mm-hmm. away from me. Okay. Uh, also, from somewhere in the United States of America, and I also don't know where, we are joined again by Dr. Robert Carter, the from the Tech Doctor podcast. Hi, Robert. Hello, Bart, and I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back again. And I am from the, well, I was going to say great state, but I'll just say the plain old state of Texas. Well, it's pretty yeah. big. Like it I is think big. It, Okay, you know, great used to mean big, so I, I think we can call it a great state of Texas. It's definitely large, yes, for sure. Yeah, I, even I can find it on the map, and I don't know much geography. Excellent. And then from the other side of the uh, island of Ireland, I am joined by the wonderful Nick Riley again from the United Kingdom. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Good to be back again. Always a pleasure to have you on. So, uh, there is obviously one story that's a bit of an elephant in the room, but I'm going to leave that elephant mm. in the corner for a couple of minutes as we get stuck into some of the more normal stuff, and then we'll go play with the elephant for half an hour. So first up, we have our notable numbers section. So according to the nice people over at IDC, Apple's iPad Pro outsold Microsoft Surface Pro over the holiday season that just passed. Apparently, Apple sold about 2 million iPad Pros, and Microsoft sold about 1.6 Surface Pros. So my first thought is, do you know something? That's not that big of a difference in number, and they're pretty good numbers for both of those products, right? Yeah, I would think so. And and the funny thing is, even though Apple outsold them, mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't sell as many that quarter as they did the you know year over year quarter, mm. uh, Apple still loses. As in, well, the iPad Pro has only been around for what a couple of months, whereas the Surface Pro was around for most of the year, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm talking about iPads in general. Oh, is okay. That, is that iPad just 2 million iPad Pros or is just that iPads pros. altogether? No, no, Pros. Oh, okay. Well, then that is impressive. I actually bought one. So did I, yeah. And I had been waiting to buy an iPad because the rumors of the Pro were just getting so strong and I so wanted one um, that I held. A, I would have bought an iPad in the summer. But at that stage, I thought, no, no, this thing is this thing is going to happen, and I waited and waited and waited till yep. mid-November, I think. I actually went from a third gen to the Pro. I think mine was a four. It was def- it, whatever the last one was before the Air was what I went from to an iPad Pro, and it was quite the upgrade. Yeah, I think that is the fourth gen. Yeah, so it's, I, I don't know how I could live without Touch ID. I went within one month from having no Touch ID on any device to having Touch ID on my phone and my tablet. <laughs> And now I could never go back. I'm glad I didn't have, you know, have it on the phone for a year without having it on the tablet. I probably would have gone insane. A few of my colleagues have, in recent years, last year or so, switched from iPad to the Surface because Mm -hmm. they wanted to use the Microsoft products. And now that they've switched, all the Microsoft products are available again on the iPad are available now for for the iPad. So I'll be curious to see how that all works out. Will people come back or will people stay with the Surface? It's kind of interesting competition they got going there. It is. And sometimes, um, depending on who you ask, some people feel that the Microsoft apps for iOS are actually nicer to use than the Microsoft apps for Windows 10. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I have to say, though, I see an awful... I. I have seen my own iPad Pro, obviously. I use it every day. But my my iPad Pro is the only iPad Pro I have seen in the flesh. I have seen quite a few Surface Pros around. So in Ireland, it seems that the Surface Pro is doing particularly well. Or maybe can, it's in the... Euro, in the um, maybe it's because I'm in an IT environment and because I'm in a university environment. But there are a lot of them around. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any other iPad Pros at all. 
but I have seen a, a few Surface Pros about. Yeah, the Surface Pros, they stand there quite well with their, you know, a lot of them have like shiny blue keyboards and the little pen magnetically Ooh. dangling off the edge. They stand out. They're nice devices. Mm. So I think probably the best thing Microsoft did was stop relying on OEMs for the hardware. Asus ain't making nothing like that. Okay, um, the next number that caught my eye is that Apple Pay continues to go from strength to strength. There are now over 2 million places that you can use your Apple Pay. None of them are in Ireland, but oh well. I like, I like Apple Pay. Do you, do, you, do you get a chance to use it often in the real world? Uh, pretty much the only place I get a chance to use it is Walgreens. <laughs> and now, I, I have run into a couple of places. For us foreigners, have, can, what sorry, is Walgreens? It's a, is that a, it's a, it's, it's a um, uh, pharmacy. So that's not an everyday purchase? No, not necessarily. But part of it, I think, is they don't really advertise whether or not you can use Apple Pay. So you, you just kind of guess. And when I've <laughs> when I've come across what looks like a um uh what do you call those nfc those, yeah what looks like an nfc terminal uh i bring my phone out and they're like oh no no we we, we don't accept that here but as it turns <laughs> out they don't really accept anything. anything yeah so it's like well then why did you change them from you know standard regular card to uh to nfc well i think that's because visa and mastercard are doing their best to get the modern readers out because those modern readers as well as doing the touch to pay stuff also do the chip and pin stuff that they do want you to use well that would make sense yeah so they're basically pushing modernity at you they haven't turned it on yet but they've they've pushed modernity your direction uh, robert do, do, are you an apple pay user yeah i use it on a reasonably regular basis i really enjoy using it on the watch it's very easy to just double tap the friends button and pay with apple pay and it used to be when i would do it everyone would think how cool is that now no one pays much attention to it so i guess it's the newness has worn off but i like it a lot actually and like uh, of a percentage of your your in-person transactions is it something you get to do half the time you go into a store a quarter of the time a tenth of the time I don't do much shopping, honestly, and I tend to go more places just by coincidence that have it. So I must, a large percentage of the time, I'd say at least 50, 60% of the time when I go shopping, I'm able to use it. Okay, well, that's getting more like I was hoping it would get, yeah. Well, it all depends happen. on where you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's no Apple Pay in Ireland, so I am obviously out of this conversation. I desperately want it, but do not have it. Um, Nick, it does exist in the UK, but... If memory serves, you're one of those weird Android people. Uh, that's correct. I am a weird Android person. Uh, <laughs> so weird, weird and an Android user. <laughs> <laughs> does, does the rollout of Apple Pay in the UK mean that there's also a push for Google Wallet and stuff? Um, I don't know, in all honesty. I, I don't use any of those kind of payment systems. Um, I could use Apple Pay, but I'd look pretty stupid, and I'd probably end up knocking things over with my iPad Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's supposed to be for convenience, and somehow going from a small piece of plastic to an iPad Pro, yeah. pulling pulling out a thirteen-inch tablet from your coat, going, "Okay, hit the button. <laughs> yeah, I'm going in." <laughs> also, I'm not entirely sure it has NFC. Probably for that very reason. <laughs> well, it's got it's got a camera you can do selfies with, so you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is, wasn't it MasterCard are experimenting with uh, sort of a they send a picture to your phone that you point at the ATM and then it, it it believes it's you and it lets you in without having to enter a pin and stuff. Ooh, I don't know. I haven't. Heard I haven't heard anything about that. No, I was reading. I was reading about it for Allison's show. Um, yeah. So the idea being that your phone would become effectively your ATM card. You can prove you're in possession of it, then it'll let you in. It's an interesting idea. Anyway, uh, well, they were all the. Oh no, they. No, they weren't. Sorry, I have another story. Strategy Analytics estimated that there were about 8.1 million smartwatches shipped in the 2015 holiday quarter, which is kind of a lot. And they think that about 5.1 million of them were Apple Watches, which is a heck of a lot of 8.1 million. Yeah, I don't have one. Is is it because you're not interested or because you don't have For the have most one? part... It's because I'm not interested. Um, 
I, I just don't see the point of a device that I still have to carry my phone for. Well, you say that. Yeah. But if you're on a known Wi-Fi network, you don't. So in the house, my phone can be anywhere in the house. And the watch is still perfectly happy to chat with it because it's doing so over Wi-Fi. And in work, I also have trusted Wi-Fi, so my phone can stay in my office as I wander around the campus, and my watch continues to be in touch with it. Well, where I work, uh, there's no such thing as a trusted Wi-Fi network. Ah, uh, that isn't for yeah. Okay, then that won't work. But you know, I, if you were to imagine though a future, say five years from now, where the technology has shrunk and the battery has increased to the point where you can have full cellular connectivity in the watch, entirely independent of the phone, would it become interesting then? Sure, that that's basically what I do want. Ah, okay. So you're not against watches, you just don't think we've arrived. Right. Oh, interesting. So, 8.1 million... Are, sorry. No, go on, go on Nick. Um, I think that there are... I've heard other people say this as well, um, that once you've got a watch, and I haven't got an Apple Watch, I've mm-hmm. got one of those horrible Android things. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it makes sense, right? Because it, it has to be tightly integrated with your phone, so I always say you should yeah. get the one that matches your phone. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But um, the thing that I think that you notice most is that you get your phone out less. Yes. Because you just swipe stuff away. You think, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. And when you are interested, then you, get, then you can get your phone out. So you, with the watch on your wrist, you're actually consulting your phone less. Which so is it's a-, a 200 to $400 notification device? Well, it's an external monitor for your phone. To some extent, to a very large extent, actually, yes. And that's brilliant about it. Especially and and it's a watch as well. I mean, it's an added advantage. <laughs> it does tell the time and it does so very well. And in the case of the <laughs> Apple Watch, it's a, a good fitness tracker, which I wanted anyway. But I didn't think the notification thing was important because it sounds dumb. But actually, the notification thing is superb. It's because you know I got I switched the Apple Watch not long before switching to an iPhone six, and I still stand by my belief that the iPhone six is too big. It's awkward and clunky to get in out of your pocket. But when you have a watch, it can stay in your pocket, or it can stay at your desk, or it can stay in your bag, it can stay in your jacket pocket, or whatever. So that is a, a strange advantage in having a small detachable screen. Hmm. Yeah, I've got the six S plus plus. So it's even and- bigger. Plus, even bigger. And so the watch is even more of an advantage with that because I enjoy the 6S Plus for a lot of things that I can do with it. But it's really great not to have to take it out of the pocket. And it's also really great that the, you can get the notifications silently just with a, a, a haptic feedback on your wrist. And uh, when I'm work, do, doing my work at the university and I don't want to be disturbed, it still gives me a way to know that I have something to check on later on so and also gives me a way to give myself an alarm when it's time for my appointment to to be up so and it's a silent alarm because you get the 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 haptic feedback alarm so it's been great for me actually and it's the fact that that vibration motor is utterly silent is actually one of the fantastic things about it because no one knows but you Mm. it's not like a phone vibrating across the office desk It's, it's a very very different kind of feedback yes i've had many students ask me how did you know it was time for us to end because I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I think we should move into the next section here, which is our legal news. So a court case that has gone on for quite some time is uh, Vernet X versus Apple. And this is about VPN technologies. And it's also used in messages and stuff. And this case is on its second go around. And so in the second go around, the damages that Apple have to pay were actually increased. So as it stands right now, Apple owe uh, Vernet X uh, $625 million. Of course, it was in the East Texas place. That's, that's where yeah. we do that kind of stuff. And Apple are now filing for a mistrial. So we can perhaps have a third time looking on that one. Well, there should be. Uh, any time I see East Texas in any kind of lawsuit, regardless of who the hmm. defendant and complaint it is, I, I, I'm just like, you know what? You just completely lost me because those people and, you know, nothing against people from Texas, but there is something about East Texas. Well, that district, that court, wherever they get their juries from, whatever's in the water there, it is different to the rest of the country. Yeah, I I don't want to drink that water ever. I'll drink Flint, Michigan water before I'll drink that water. I'm not quite sure I'd go that far, but I see where you're going. 
No, it's it's amazing actually, and it's uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name for it. Is it um, jurisdiction shopping? They call it where you literally yeah. seek out courts that you know like you, or at least courts that are f- f- less you know less friendly to corporates corporations. Yeah, it's, which it's a is bizarre kind of one. What how, how effectively that East District of Texas Texas is in these cases? It's bizarre. And and the thing that's crazy is most of these companies don't even have a presence there, or or they have you know their lawyers PO box have a or presence something. there. Yeah, I mean it doesn't take much to say that you have some sort of connection to the state, and therefore you can file your papers there. Anyway, another case that is going on forever and ever and ever and ever yeah. and ever is Samsung v Apple. Now this is so there were two cases that have already been to trial. So there was Samsung v Apple one, and then the sequel, Samsung v Apple two. And in the sequel, Apple won a 120 million dollar verdict against. Oh, I realized in my show notes I left out the million. Um, 120 dollars. <laughs> 120 dollars. Um, and they're still fighting it. Well, they, not only are they still fighting it, they've just gotten on had it overturned. Uh, so Samsung appealed, and that appeal has been upheld, and the panel of appellate court judges ruled that, one, Samsung didn't, invalid, didn't violate one of the three patents, and two, the other two patents are invalid, which basically leaves Apple with zero for three, and the uh, $120 million can go poof. So I imagine Apple will probably try raise that to another court, wherever avenue of appeal they have left. But They should go to East Texas. I don't think you can appeal in a different place than you lost the case. I don't think it works like that. Oh, man. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see how this one works out, but Samsung seems to be doing very good at nibbling away at Apple's victories in the whole patent thing. Okay, so, hello, Mr. Elephant. Let's, uh, let's get stuck in here. <laughs> so obviously, main story number one has to be FBI versus Apple. So I figure... I have them listed out here. They're quite a long list, but I figure I have a list of the facts that have happened and then we can have a chat about it. So I'm going to take a really deep breath here and I'm going to get through the story so far factually and then then we'll have a good old chinwag about it. So it all started when Apple received a court order ordering them to create a new version of iOS, which has now since been nicknamed by commentators Government OS. And this OS's job is to strip out of iOS certain parts of the cryptographic protections that are not technically the raw crypto itself, but are nonetheless absolutely vital to making the crypto work. And they are the erase on repeated failure and the time delay between attempts. Because without those two features, a four-digit or a six-digit pin would not be sufficient for actual security. And of course, humans could never enter massive long passwords. Therefore, this is actually a vital security feature. So they would like that stripped out and a version of the OS written so that it could be injected onto a phone without the phone being, de- being emptied of data in any way. And then they would use this to hack the phone and suck the data off. Now, this phone belonged to San Bernardino County, but it was used by one of the shooters in the San Bernardino Massacre. Um, there is a link in the show notes to the court order, which says what the FBI want. Tim Cook's immediate response was to say that they will be appealing this and to write an open letter um, laying out Apple's reasons why they will challenge the order. Um, The U.S. Department of Justice got on board and filed a paper with the court saying that, yes, you should compel Apple to to abide by the request. Um, There was then a bit of a back and forth between uh, Apple, the FBI, and San Bernardino County. But basically what we found out is that Apple has actually been working with the FBI throughout this case. They already handed over decrypted iCloud backups, which they have the power to do. And they had a plan for getting more recent data from the phone, which was unfortunately scuppered when the San Bernardino County reset the password on the iCloud account. And initially, the FBI tried to throw San Bernardino under the bus until San Bernardino went, no, you told us to. And then they sort of sheepishly went, yeah, we kind of did. Sorry about that. Um, A petition was started at whitehead.gov, which is getting a lot of signatures. And if that reaches its goal in the next few weeks, then that will force the Obama administration to comment on the matter. It won't force them to do anything other than that, but it'll force them to reply. Uh, Tim Cook followed up his open letter with a letter to employees of Apple explaining to the employees of Apple what, you know, why they were doing what they were doing and thanking them for their good work and so forth. And also at the same time, a public FAQ over on Apple.com's website. Uh, around about the same time then, the FBI director, James Comey, decided that this letter-writing lark must be a good idea, so he had a go. Uh, his open letter starts by saying that this is not about setting a precedent, at which point I realized that he was being insincere and I stopped reading the rest of his letter. Yep. 
Um, Apple then obviously set about creating their formal response. So one of the people they have hired is, I would say, legendary attorney Ted Olson. Uh, This guy has been involved in some very high-profile cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, and he absolutely knows his stuff. So that's a very big uh, score for Apple to get him on their side. Uh, The FBI director was then held in front of Congress, where they basically went, so this is not about precedence. And he went, no. Would it set a precedent? Well, yeah, probably would, actually. So, yeah, of course, staying in the obvious there. Uh, San Bernardino police chief admitted that actually there's a reasonably good chance there is nothing of any value on the phone. So, of course, it's about the precedence. Uh, We also have found out that the U.S. Department of Justice has nine more iPhones they'd like next in the line. And Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance said, actually, I've got 175 of them I'd like you to do while you're at it. Uh, Apple then got around to handing in their formal uh, request to vacate the order. Uh, And they are citing a whole bunch of stuff, including First Amendment and Fifth Amendment rights. Uh, Apple and the FBI were then hauled in front of Congress to have a a five-hour testimony. Um, Alison Sheridan actually watched it all, and she said it was riveting. But I have to say, I didn't feel up to that. Um, Congress was actually strangely... Well, not strangely. Congress was hostile to the FBI, which people may not have expected, but of course... Congress's view is that the FBI is trying to do an end run around Congress, who probably should be legislating on this stuff. So I guess that's why they were hostile. Um, Again, sort of interesting timing. There's another case in New York, which got none of the headlines because it didn't involve terrorists, where there was also an order under the same All Writs Act to force Apple to help the FBI break into another iPhone. And in the New York case, the judge found that the FBI were stretching the All Writs Act too far, and therefore he re- denied their request, which is an interesting precedent to have going into what's going on now. Uh, some Republican congressman called Jolly from Florida, so from yeah. from, from your neck of the woods there, uh, has introduced a, a bill to try to ban the government from buying Apple phones because I mean yeah, he's he w- he's West Coast. I was East Coast. Oh, okay, the other Florida. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he basically thinks that it's, we really don't want the government buying secure phones, which is an interesting take on things. And meanwhile, in France, there's also a lawmaker gone off the deep end proposing a law that would fine Apple and Google a million euro if they didn't uh, create software to hack smartphones and they'd lock up their executives as well while they were at it. And then today, or maybe yesterday, but it certainly hit my newsreader today, the San, Bernie, the San Bernardino district attorney went off the deep end. And decided that to, he decided to file some paperwork with the court because that's a really good place to go off the deep end. Uh, that well, there might be some dormant cyber pathogen, which is as much <laughs> hogwash as it sounds. He made up some techie words and shoved them into a sentence, in, in the hope that people would go, "Oh no, the cyber pathogen!" <laughs> oh God, no, the children. The children, exactly. Uh, the general response from the security community has been, "Yeah, unicorns, good for you." Um, Meanwhile, there have been an awful lot of amicus briefs filed. So amicus comes from Latin. It means friend of the court. So basically, they are filings to the judge from people interested in the case, but who are not directly involved in the case. Uh, there are lots and lots of amicus briefs filed in this case because it's it's going to set a precedent. It is so important. So most the vast, vast majority have actually been in favor of Apple. So some notable names in there would be Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression, the American Civil Liberties Union, and good old AT&T. And even our friends over at Samsung have basically said that they agree with Apple, but they did so without signing the amic- an amicus brief and also without mentioning the word Apple. But they basically said that they want all the same things Apple wants. So it, it is as close as Samsung could possibly get, I think, to saying, yeah, Apple is right. Uh, but there were a few amicus briefs filed the other way. And Philip Elmer DeWitt actually did a great job of collating all the amicus briefs and breaking them into pro and anti-Apple. So I have a link in the show notes to that. And at that point, you will have a full list of who all has filed briefs. And what you'll see is lots and lots of pro-Apple briefs and a few anti-Apple briefs. And they're from all the places you'd expect them to be from. Now, before we have our little chat, just to say that the show notes contain a bunch more lists. These are lists of opinion pieces that I thought were insightful or valuable. I'm not going to go through them here, but the show notes, which will be at letstalk.ie, have another 20 or so links of useful information. As I say, it's opinion rather than fact. So what we have, what, we have, what I covered here is just the events that have happened. So now... 
Where yeah. do we start this discussion? I guess the obvious first question is, so is there anyone here who thinks Apple is wrong to fight this? Great. Okay, that's sort of what I thought would happen. Good. <laughs> um, actually, does anyone want to... I don't want to give my opinion first, because I've just talked for ages and ages and my throat hurts. So does anyone want to jump in to kick us off here? Yeah, uh, I'll start off. <clears throat> you... There's been a series of events here that I find very, very interesting, Mm -hmm. and it didn't even start in the United States. There was, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was a bill in the UK. Oh, that's still in the works. Okay. That is basically trying to get this done and saying that you can't sell iPhones or, or phones in general unless we can look at the data that's on it. Yeah, Not so- long after that, there was a bill introduced in New York that pretty much said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just, I think, a week later, there was a, a similar bill introduced in California mm-hmm. that had almost the exact same language that, re, that w- wanted Apple and all these other companies to uh, allow their phones to be cracked when required by government XYZ. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I hate to put on the conspiracy tin foil hat, mm. but it almost, <clears throat> it almost seems like there's, there's too much, there's too much evidence of all of these things happening at the same time for it to not, or for it to be just a coincidence. Okay, but the history kind of goes back a bit further because for the last two at least years, uh, J- James Comey, the head of the FBI, has gone to every microphone that's open to him to shout loudly about going dark and how something has to change and how Congress is going to have to step in or something's going to have to happen because we're going dark and this is a disaster. So it, it's been brewing for at least two years. Well, the, the, the part that makes no sense to me is, okay, you, let, let's say that that the FBI wins and mm-hmm. they force all of these phone companies to come out with a way to crack open people's phones. Well, they that's not quite what the outcome would be. So the priest, I guess, the dangerous precedent is that this, this old Ritz Act is bloody ancient. And yeah, it's seventeen eighty nine, I think. I couldn't remember if it was eighty nine or eighty seven, but yeah, like you know, George Washington era sort of stuff. Yeah. And it basically says that if the court tells you to do it, you should do it, but it shouldn't be onerous. And Apple's argument is you're making us write a whole new OS, and that whole new OS's whole point is to remove the security that is protecting billions of phones. And that's onerous. That's not something that the All Ritz Act should cover. And it's onerous think, not just on Apple, but on everyone that buys their products. Yes. And Apple then went on in their in their arguments to say that it has already been found that code is speech. Therefore, forcing Apple to write code they find morally objectionable and dangerous is a violation of free speech rights. And, of course, we know that corporations are people. I may not agree with that fact, but that is how the law has been interpreted. So that's Apple's, that's Apple's argument. But if this All Writs Act is, if it's accepted that it is okay to make these very onerous rulings under All Writs, then the government can start making all sorts of rumors, these things. So they could then demand that Apple use these software update mechanisms to inject malware into people's devices. Because, well, they physically can't do that, so we'll just demand that you do it, and the All Writs Act lets us do it. So all of a sudden, every software update becomes suspicious. Like it. Allowing them to make such sweeping demands under all writs is the really, really, really scary thing in the room. I think. I'm convinced, in my personal opinion, that the FBI saw this as an opportunity to really try to get lots of public sympathy by making this the case they bring forth into the public. Apple asked them to keep this private, and they chose not to do that because they thought they could really scare a lot of people into demanding somehow, I guess, that this, that this happen, or at least to get, to get mm-hmm. public behind them, that this be allowed to happen. I don't believe it's, uh, at least in my opinion right now, I don't think it's working for them as well as they thought it would. Well, the first few days it was working quite well for them, but 
the more time has gone on and the more people have thought about it and the more people have spoken about it. And the more information that has come out. Yeah, about it. the worse it's going for them. Well, just today on the uh, the uh, uh, iOS Today uh, podcast, Today in iOS, I guess that's what it's called, Rob's uh, podcast, he quoted a, a letter from from a husband of one of the victims. I think she was injured in the shootings. And she said that, and, and the husband said his wife had a a person, a, a, a county owned iPhone from the county, just like uh, the killers did. And they were not allowed to have any personal information. We're not supposed to have any personal information on those phones. They didn't use those phones for personal information, which pretty much supports the idea that the, that the shooters had two other phones that they destroyed before yeah, they, they were did, killed. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think they're, they're really reaching here to make this a very compelling case when indeed it just doesn't look like it really is. Uh, there's a there's an old maxim that uh, you know emotional cases make for difficult or make for bad laws, and I think they're really playing on the emotion here in the hope that they'll get their way. And if they do, I think it will be a bad law. And it's and it wouldn't just stop with the U.S. I mean, every Ooh. single country out there that that Apple sells phones in would would also want this this crackable operating system for iPhones. And and at what point does it become I mean, out there for anyone that that's able to uh, to get access to a phone so that, you know, I mean, you can't keep this this kind of thing secret. It just doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, it's it's one thing for Apple to say to to say to a foreign government, we cannot give you what we do not have. That is that is a valid thing to say to a court. We order you to do X. okay? but that X is not possible. We don't have X. But if the U.S. make Apple make this thing, if you the U.S. make Apple make this government OS, it is then impossible for Apple to stand up in front of a judge in the U.K. and say, no, 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 we don't have this. It's like, of course you have it. We know you have it. Look, look, here's the court case. You have this. We're now ordering you to use it. And Okay, so that's in the U.K. That may not scare us too much. Saudi Arabian court does it. Um, Chinese courts start doing it. Russian courts start doing it. You end up with with free speech advocates basically being rounded up and arrested because of this. You end up with gay rights activists in Russia being murdered because of this. And all of a sudden, what this becomes very real and about ruining the lives of very real people. Yeah, well, the FBI doesn't care because that's not part of their jurisdiction. So what if Apple then goes ahead and designs the next version of the operating system that it actually cannot crack into – then it will be interesting to see whether and, – and my fear, honestly, is that then our government, the U.S. government, will try to pass a law that says you can't build software or, or, or operating systems that can't be cracked. I really wonder where that would go. It's, it's, the whole thing is scary to me, honestly. I'm, I'm not sure anyone could make encryption that couldn't eventually be cracked. Well, the thing is if the All Writs Act is taken – if it's considered acceptable to make companies create code under the All Writs Act, then if they do come out with a really, really strong encrypted phone, they will simply be ordered to push out a software update that strips away the the protections. Because yeah. it's just been said that you can use the All Writs Act for this kind of thing. I'm not sure it could be done, but some people have talked about some way of doing it through the uh, secure enclave so that it's it's a hardware encryption as opposed you know and and that then no one could theoretically get to it i don't know it's, it's an interesting thought anyway it is the thing is there's always firmware somewhere there's always and if you make your firmware unupdatable which is what you'd have to do to to stop it being possible to change it afterwards you'd have to make it unupdatable firmware but what if there's a bug in it and then all of a sudden what you've done is instead of making every iphone more secure you've made every iphone vulnerable to a bug you are powerless to patch yeah, that'd be a very bad idea yeah, so you're stuck in yeah. a rock and a hard place, right? So if you wanna if the All Writs Act interpretation is accepted, then you're gonna have to do something to stop yourself having the ability to insecure your phones. But that also means you don't have the ability to patch your phones, which means you've probably insecured them in a worse way. So you really are between the devil and the deep blue sea there. Like what do you do if you're Apple and you're genuinely trying to help the ordinary people of the world stay safe from criminals? 
And not only well, that, this can't. whole security idea or keeping your data safe has become a major component of Apple's marketing. It's, it's a major reason they believe their phones are, are really great. I happen to agree with them, but what's gonna, what would happen to that? Because that puts all that at risk, I think. It does, because it means that no company can say, we are going to give you good security because it's just not going to exist. And it's very annoying that the choices are that we give everyone security and that that security is used sometimes by people we really quite detest, to put it as mildly as one can. But the only other option is that no one has security. So you either give everyone security and it sometimes helps some people you really bloody well wish it didn't. But there is no magic unicorn that you can encrypt only good things. That's just not how any of this technology works. It's like you can't... If you invent a hammer that can't kill someone, well, then you can't hammer in any nails anymore. But it looks good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the human-friendly hammer. Look, boing, boing. It, it, it's, yeah, it's just... People keep wishing this unicorn would come into existence. And, I mean, a lot of the presidential candidates... I, now, arguably, it's just a wussy answer. Ah, well, we should just get all those smart people in Silicon Valley together and they'll figure it out. It's got to be possible to have security and to have the FBI be able to get into everything. No, it isn't. You're asking for unicorns, and it makes you sound silly. So here's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Do, do we think, as a panel, mm-hmm. that, that Apple knew this was coming? Oh, I, I think they did. Yeah. I, I, I think they were just kind of waiting for, this, for the other shoe to drop. I mean, it was always going to be – this was going to be in a courtroom somewhere. The, the question was which courtroom when. And where. And yeah, and which jurisdiction, etc. Uh, the reason I asked the question is that Apple made a point, didn't they, of, of saying that that we can't hack into our own phones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just well, wonder whether. Well, that's true because that, that part of according according to Apple, right now they can't because uh, Apple has said that they have not created the software to do so, which is yeah. kind of where this all comes from. If Apple is forced to make software to do this, then at that point, the iPhone becomes, you know, you may as well go out and get a flip phone because your, your security is, is bumpkiss. Well, I guess the, the only way, okay, so based on this current order, so it would only, again, this current order, if Apple loses this current order, it will set a horrible precedent that will bite us in the backside over and over again for a long time. But the immediate aftermath would be, that pins become useless, you're going to have to start using long, complex passphrases. Because what, what they're asking here is for a bypass of the auto-wipe after 10 failures and of the delay between entry. So if you have a pin and there's no delay between entry, the pin will crumble in about 26 minutes, according to James Comey, the head of the FBI, and I believe him. There are not that many combinations of four digits. There are not that many more of six. So if you're in a world where brute forcing has become possible because Apple have been forced to make brute forcing possible, then your only defense is a long, complex password, like you would do for something like TrueCrypt or whatever, which is by its nature brute forcible. But that's a really retrograde step for all of us, where our choice is either we have a phone we can use or we have a phone that's secure. And of course, the precedent means that if Apple invent any good security technology in the future, they will also be forced to tear them down. Hmm. We so talk about a perverse incentive for a company. If I do a good job at securing my users, I am going to have a harder time obeying the court orders that tell me to tear it back down again. I mean, how do you, how do you go around putting your energies into doing the right thing if you know that you're also going to be forced to put equal amounts of energies into tearing it all down again? It's got to be soul destroying for those engineers. That's what's really frustrating about it, honestly. It's re- it's really frustrating because there's no – I really agree with what you said, Bart. Either you have security or you don't. I wish I could take credit for it. That would be uh, – Bruce Schneier made that point very candidly in one of the linked um, – one of the linked opinion pieces. Um, basically, the, everyone in the, secur- in the security world – and by that I mean – Cryptographers. I don't mean people with with guns and who, with three letters on their cap. I mean, you know, security in the digital sense. Everyone in that industry is entirely united in supporting Apple in this. It, it, the only people on the other side are unions of police officers and that kind of thing. It's, you know, there is no... Among experts, there is no doubt about the realities of what it means to cripple encryption. 
Nick, you've been very quiet on this one. Is, is there anything you want to chime in with? Um, not, 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 not particularly. I, okay. I, I think you've all basically said what I agree with. Um, it, it seems very complicated, and I suppose the question is really: uh, Have the FBI got ulterior motives? And I think most people think. Yes, they have. They just want easy access to information. And we can all understand when something dreadful happens. That, that's why what you said earlier is so pertinent, that you don't make rules and laws based upon Individual the reaction to something awful happening. Because then you make bad laws. And you make and, and this, this attack on uh, uh, encryption, effectively, is exactly the same thing. And it's difficult to argue with because as soon as you get into the emotional side of things, you've got to agree with the people to a certain extent who are saying, but we can't let this happen. Yeah. The, the thing to remember, though, and this is also actually illustrated by this case, is that actually the information is there. The only thing that, the only thing that makes a phone special is that it saves you having to do much police work because the information is all collated for you together. But actually, there's very little of that information that isn't available to you. You just got to go get it in the in the places like you used to do in the olden days. Yeah. So Apple handed over a full iCloud backup of that phone, and Apple have the power to do that because basically, if Apple didn't have the ability to restore your iCloud backup, then Apple wouldn't have the ability to reset your password. And could we live in a world where forgetting your iCloud password meant you lost all of your data? No, we couldn't. So the cloud storage stuff is going to remain available through legitimate court orders. And therefore, the FBI are actually handed a vast wadge of data. They just want it all. They just think they want more. Who, who is this person phoning? Well, we don't need the iPhone to know that. We can ask AT&T about that. Yeah, or whoever their provider is. Exactly. So a lot of this information is not only in the phone. It's just that the phone is such a convenient package. But it's not that if you remove it, the data is gone and suddenly criminals can just do anything they want because that's really, really not the – that's not option B. It's not either we have privacy and security or criminals can do anything. Like, that's not how that, – that's not the real choice here. So could it be honestly that if the court could, could come to understand that had the FBI not changed the iCloud password, they at least theoretically could have had – all the data they wanted, then it seems almost like if it comes down to that, the FBI doesn't really have a case. They, they made a mistake. Well, all right, so from the FBI may well have made a mistake. Well, they certainly made a mistake in terms of resetting the iCloud password. That was a mistake, and they've admitted so. But they may have made a more fundamental mistake. So they chose this case because it's so emotional. But unfortunately, it's pretty clear to everyone that this phone probably has nothing on it, which means that Claiming that this is a bit na imminent national security threat is actually really difficult because everyone's like, yeah, this is just ticking the boxes here. We actually don't need this phone that badly. So maybe they actually shot themselves in the foot by choosing this as their poster boy case. Well, there wasn't any other... I mean, I, I don't know what other phones that they have. Well, there's at least nine of them. I think they're about stuff like drugs and stuff, which doesn't really get people's goat up in the same way that, well, that terrorists do. Well, that's it. That's that's the whole point, though. You know, I mean, you you don't you, you if it, it wasn't because of a terrorist incident, it could be because uh, some child was kidnapped, and they need to know, you know the, the the places that the potential kidnapper had marked on a map or, or or whatever. But you know, that's the kind of thing that gets people interested. That's the kind of thing mm. that gets people you know on the side of law enforcement for something that that's completely horrible like this you know but it, to just pick something like oh well yeah we caught this guy selling drugs and, and we want to find out who he sold drugs to or where he got his drugs from people just go yawn and no I, you know we don't give you our information so that you can get that information yeah yeah no, it, it, well, as I say, the, there are court dates happening in March. So by the next time we speak, uh, by the next month's show, there is going to be a lot more to say about this because court hearings will have been had. So I, I think we should probably wrap up the discussion on this for now. But uh, if anyone else wants to chime in with anything before we finish off, do please you know, feel free to speak up. 
Okay, so I guess we're all just waiting to see what happens. Pretty much. Yep. Okay, well, what would have been a major big story that would have got us all exercised if the FBI thing hadn't happened was good old Error 53. Because goodness me did that have the internet frothing at the mouth until the FBI showed up. So this is something which has technically been going on for a long time, but the Guardian out of the UK made it one a big headline story and then it grew legs and proper, like only the internet can, it, it just took off. So there were people who, when they upgraded their iPhone to a new OS, they plugged it into iTunes, they tried to upgrade, and iTunes came back with a cryptic error 53. You restarted the phone, tried to do a factory restore, it came up with a cryptic error 53, and basically you had an infinite loop of, oh, you need to restore the phone, error 53, you need to restore the phone, error 53, you need to restore the phone. And so effectively the devices were bricked. And Apple... Apple's first comment on the matter was, okay, well, this is about checking that the Touch ID sensor hasn't been tampered with, which is actually spectacularly important for all of our protections, that you can't tamper with the Touch ID sensor and still have it work. So people are like, yeah, okay, great. Thank you for protecting Touch ID. That's very important. But why are you bricking the whole phone? Why not just brick the Touch ID sensor? And there was some silence from Apple for, a, for a, it might have been a week. It's definitely a few days. And then Apple came out and did something I haven't heard them do in a long time. They went, we're sorry, we got it wrong. This error 53 thing was only supposed to actually block the phone from installing while it was in the factory. In the real world, it should have just disabled the Touch ID sensor and let you carry on without Touch ID. Uh, Therefore, there's an update out to iTunes. If you have a bricked phone, update iTunes, plug in the phone, and all will be well. And iFixit had a bricked phone. They downloaded iTunes. They plugged in the bricked phone, and hey presto, all was well. So what was Which is a major how it's supposed scandal? To work. Hmm? Yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. Yes. So, you know, the, the people are still saying, "But why, why does it brick the Touch ID sensor?" Well, the answer is because if it didn't, then the, it will be possible for someone to take your phone, put in a Touch ID sensor with some sort of tap soldered onto it put it back into your phone and your phone will continue to use it normally, well, then that's a massive data leak. So it has to it has to protect the integrity of Touch ID. So this is really good that it's doing that. It just shouldn't have been breaking people's phones. So this story honestly became a non-story when Apple came out and apologized, except for the fact that that, that Apple did make a mistake by leaving this, mm. this option in the code, I guess. But, I mean, nobody seems too terribly angry that everybody seems to kind of understand yes they made a mistake yeah actually the other thing apple did was they said that if you because the right so if you got your iphone fixed by a third party they can in theory remove the iphone oh, sorry the uh, touch id sensor from the home button replace your home button and put the touch id sensor back and that shouldn't trip the um that shouldn't invalidate touch id but if they make a mistake if they nick the cable if they in some way damage the Touch ID sensor, then it will trip this. It will trip the Touch ID problem, which was causing error 53. And so when that happened, Apple said, well, you're going to have to get a new phone from us. And so there were some people who paid Apple a few hundred dollars. And Apple actually said, if you think that you paid us money that you shouldn't have, we'll give it back, which is even going above and beyond. So that probably removed an awful lot of the anger. Well, except for from people that would be angry with Apple regardless but see those people don't have an iphone with error 53 so they have nothing to be angry about (laughs) they get angry for other people yes they do that that is certainly true and any other thoughts on this or as i say i think you're probably right robert that apple nipped it in the bud by fixing it and making people good it's a little bit like uh, it reminds me of uh, i had a carpet fitter come um Uh a few years ago now and um, he did a very good job. And I did say, um, in that bedroom, there's a panic alarm. So right. be very careful that you don't damage it because it's I won't important. be able, you know, it will, my alarm will go off and you won't be able to reset it. <clears throat> so he fitted the carpet, went away, and, uh, and about three hours after he'd gone, my alarm went off. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't then reset the alarm. I couldn't actually set the alarm after that point. I could stop the alarm going off. Yeah. But I couldn't actually – and it was exactly the same thing. It, he had actually cut through set two or three of the strands of the wire. Uh-huh. And it has a tamper mechanism on it. Uh, and it would – so in some ways, that's a little bit like this. Yeah, now, yeah. I couldn't actually use the alarm, but it, it was a security feature. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, an alarm probably should know what's been tampered with, <laughs> as indeed should yeah. a, a fingerprint sensor. 
Well, yeah. that's what I mean. That's that's it's basically it's not only protection for the device, but it's protection for the cables as well, because oh, yeah. the bad guys can't actually usually get to the device, but they may be able to get to the cable. So if they yeah. can, you know, jiggery poke it around a little bit, maybe they can bypass it, yeah. which is why when major changes are made, but, you know, I, I don't want to get into a discussion on, on how security, you know, physical security mm-hmm. devices work, because that could take a long time. That would work badly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but no, in this case, actually, so it's interesting. So what Apple actually do, we may as well talk a little bit about the practicality. So Apple digitally sign within the phone information that tells the phone that the Touch ID sensor that belongs to it has this serial number and the cable that connects that Touch ID sensor to the motherboard has this serial number and it's all cryptographically signed so it can't be edited uh, unless you're Apple. And then when the thing is is doing its install, it actually checks. So is this the right cable and is this the right sensor and is this the right iPhone? Oh, great. All these three things are matched. They haven't been tampered with. I can send electrical pulses up and down and they all work fine. Then I'm happy with this Touch ID sensor. But if any of those things fail, if it's a different lead or a different sensor or a different phone, it goes, ooh, whoa, ha, ha, no, wrong, stop. Hold on there. Yes. And being a security device, it's supposed to fail safe. So it shouldn't fail open, it should fail safe. And it does. Yep. They're dash clever, those Apple people, aren't they? Bless their cotton socks, they do try. <laughs> they don't always succeed um, I, I didn't think it was an important enough story to pop it in here as a main story but they did make a spectacular boo-boo temporarily by blacklisting their own Ethernet driver oh yes I saw that yeah. thankfully they unblacklisted it a few hours later and very few people got stuck and they got stuck in the meantime but that was nonetheless a very silly boo-boo to blacklist your own Ethernet driver it's so interesting, though. You know, some people are taking that story and saying, "Well, this is this is clear proof that Apple just isn't into quality control anymore, and their software just going downhill." And 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 I mean, certainly one could would, could make that argument, but I think that any company, including Apple, is occasionally going to make a mistake. And these the, these are human beings doing these things who are by nature imperfect. And so I don't know, I'm not saying that I want to start apologizing for everything Apple does. They do things I don't agree with as well. But but I think I think in these these two cases, Era 53 and this this Ethernet situation, I think they honestly made a mistake. Yeah, and I mean there's the there's an estimate that the average human makes one mistake in every nine lines of code. So that's obviously before you run it through QA. So you put a programmer down, you say, write 10 lines of code, one of them will be wrong. And then you run it through a quality control process and you hammer out as many of those bugs as you can. But by the very nature of the fact that Apple is nothing more or nothing less than a collection of humans, some of those problems sneak through. And in terms of the Ethernet driver, the most plausible explanation I've heard is that the next version of OS X will have a new driver and that it's probably fixing a security vulnerability in the current driver. And so that blacklist item is probably going to be needed for real in a few weeks' time. But right now, it just got out too early and it blacklisted itself before the new one was out. Which is, you know, that makes it a very, very simple human error. This thing which we genuinely do need came out too early. You know, which is nowhere near the, the terrible, oh, my God, how could they do this? Well, that's how you could yeah. do it. Yeah, well, sometimes excrement occurs. Yep. It hits spinny things, yeah. <laughs> well, what is okay. it? The, the excrement hit the rotating oscillator. Ooh, a rotating oscillator. I like that. As I came up with a new euphemism recently, rose fertilizer. Do you know what roses like to be fertilized with? Yes. <laughs> you see, it's really friendly, but it actually means, you know, equine feces. Anyway, uh, the last main story I have for the month is, I'm not sure how big a deal it is, but I imagine Apple think it's a pretty big deal. So there is yet another country other than Ireland that has the ability to do Apple Pay, and that would be the rather large nation of China. Um, They had a bit of a problem with the initial rollout because apparently some of the servers crashed a little bit because there were too many people trying to get on. And what we do know is that after two days, there were three million credit cards added, uh, which is, I believe, one percent of what the leader in the country has. Which people, which has some people saying, "Well, I mean, it's only one percent," and I'm going, "It's only two days." Yesterday they had zero percent. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure this is a big deal for Apple. I would agree. Absolutely. Yes, probably all we can say about that really isn't it. Not terribly exciting, but good to see. 
I also have at the bottom of the show notes a couple of quick stories I think we should just mention so that the listeners are aware. Um, if you are one of the few people on this planet who have a 2013 Mac Pro, then you may know that some of those models have been giving some graphics-y problems. Well, Apple have finally accepted the fact that, yes, indeed, the problem is real, and they have started a repair program where you can get your graphics card replaced with one that isn't buggy and crappy. Uh, similarly, Apple are also rolling out a replacement program for some USB-C charging cables. Now, these charging cables won't set your house on fire or anything like that. They'll just fail to charge, which is, I guess, a fail-safe, but still kind of a problem if you can't get any juice into your laptop. Uh, but Apple have been proactively posting people out new cables. Um, I was chatting to Alison earlier, and she received one in the post. She didn't even know this program was happening, and she just got a new cable from Apple. So, so yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, whenever you feel the need to vent at Apple, and going to apple.com for just feedback just isn't going to fulfill your venting needs, you can now do so on Twitter. There is now at Apple support where you can have your little rants and have a great time. <laughs> yeah, I don't really, I, I don't, I don't get really it. get that. I'm not sure how how many people would have to be sitting at Apple using Twitter in order to keep up with the the volume of tweets, not just from people that mm-hmm. require support, but, you know, all the trolls out there that, that just want to say, oh, Apple sucks, Apple sucks. Yeah, well, Jim, resend, think, resend, resend. I think Jim Dalrymple had a look at it and said that they were answering about four legitimate queries a minute. Which is pretty good going, I guess. Well, since they just started, but you you know that's going to increase. True, true. I imagine there's a room full of people somewhere. And actually, we know that there's a room full of people somewhere in California because their support hours are basically Pacific time. Well, that's, yeah, but that's almost all of Apple's remote support. Apart from their big data, big support center in Cork, that's running on Irish time. And they have, yeah, no, the, the, most of their support is 24 hours. And I guess maybe if this Twitter thing is a success, maybe it'll become 24 hours too. But right now, if you're not somewhere close to America's time zone, then you've got to tweet them at three in the morning. Which may be when you're cranky, I suppose. So how many people really want to have a conversation about their tech support issues with Apple over Twitter? I guess a lot of yeah. people do. I'm not sure that I do. No, well, I, I've never had a problem that I needed Apple's help for that I could adequately express in 140 characters. Exactly. <laughs> Mind you, I would. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm never going to add Apple support, you stupid idiots. You just ruined my something or other. I, I won't promise I'll never do that. I'll regret it afterwards, but I won't promise I'll never do it. I suspect there have been a few Apple support people who wished I would have boiled my answer, my question down to 140 character. True. Now, actually, to be honest, I prefer to go to apple.com forward slash feedback because I know they read that. Because in my, I, I, I submit feedback whenever something makes me cranky. But in my entire life, I have three times had an engineer contact me back saying, hi, I'm from Apple, and you reported this issue with... Actually, it was always with Aperture. The Aperture team always got back to me. So that means that they must at least read them. So therefore, I will have my little rants there. Do you know, one of the, one of the really nice things when you mm-hmm. actually uh, work with a particular piece of software is to actually have people who actually listen to their users about mm. what they want. Um, at, at work, I use something called Dell. Um, it's owned by Dell, and it's called Toad DataPoint. Um, and it's a it's a, a database tool, but mm-hmm. it's it's far more than that. It'll plug into almost anything. Uh, it's got its own MySQL database, and you can. It's got lots of automation tools built into it. So if you do capacity analysis like I do, it's really great for sucking lots of data out of other tools. Yeah. And, and then processing it and spitting it out the other end. Um, and I have to say, Dell are very responsive when you say, actually, it would be really good if you did this. Because, yeah. um, I mean, I've been using it for two years, and they've, they've implemented two of my suggestions. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm quite impressed by that. So I'm amazed that you're talking about Dell, as in... Well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, originally, these people were um, Quest. Right. So they've obviously retained their identity from before being mushed into Dell. Uh, I get I, to talk to Dell quite regularly, and my experience has never been one of being listened to. Oh, right. Oh, well, yes, perhaps perhaps it's these particular people. Um, but they are. They're quite friendly. And if they can't sort out a problem, they'll often say, um, oh, let's have a let's – let, we'll get a, 
we'll message you. And oh, no, what's the phrase I'm after? And we'll actually have a, a conference, you know, an online conference to actually work a problem out. Wow. Well, that sounds so, perfect. And that, you're right. That is it's such a lovely feeling when a product you're using cares. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then the last thing I had in the show, in the quick stories, which could have been a really big story until it all went boobies. It all went wrong. Um, Fox- <laughs> Sorry, it all went what? Yeah, never mind. I nearly... (laughs) Never mind. I almost use a colloquial phrase. Um, Something about something going up. Anyway, uh, Foxconn very nearly bought Sharp. Uh, And then they realised that Sharp owed someone an awful lot of money, or uh, as it was cut, as it put, surprise liabilities. And then they just slammed on the brakes and hit pause. The acquisition may still go ahead, but right now it went from, this is happening today, to, oh, no, it isn't. So it was almost a really big story, but no. So I guess you'll have to wait and see. Okay, Perhaps well, that's... Foxconn wasn't as sharp as they should have been. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, whoever was in charge of due diligence had a very near miss. Because <laughs> if it had gone, I'd say if I'd say they were about twenty-four hours away from from having missed that. And imagine if your job was to do due diligence and you missed surprise liabilities. It might be the last time you did due diligence. Anyway, thank you very much, panel. Uh, that is all we have in the show notes for this month. So just a reminder to the listeners that there are detailed show notes over at lets-talk.ie. And while you're over there looking at those detailed show notes, there are three blue buttons um, under the heading support the show. Uh, I obviously appreciate all support, be it just simply reviews on iTunes and stuff. But in particular, the three buttons are three different ways that you can help the show in very practical ways. So the first one is a link to our Patreon page. And the way Patreon works is that you pledge a certain small dollar amount for every show I manage to get published. And uh, I use the same Patreon account for both Let's Talk Apple and Let's Talk Photography. And there's exactly two shows a month, always. Even if I do a special, I only charge for two. So basically, whatever you'd like to give a month, divide by two and pledge that per show. And hey, presto, that's how it'll work. And the great thing with Patreon is... Small. If you give a small amount via PayPal, PayPal keep like 50% of it. But because Patreon does one PayPal transaction per month to me, so basically they charge everyone's credit cards at the end of the month and then they do one PayPal transaction to the producer, there's one set of PayPal fees on the whole kit and caboodle. And it means that of the, you know, if you pledge 50 cent, like 45 cent of that will make it to me. Whereas if you pledge 50, if you donate 50 cent using the PayPal button, I'd say 25 cent would come to me, if even. So that's why Patreon rocks, because it allows the little amounts of money to actually be effective and useful and really help the show. And also, the great thing is the Patreon stuff comes in at the end of the month. I have bills coming in a few days later. I take the Patreon money, I pour it into the bills, and things are better. So I really, you know, the guys on Patreon really do make this show continue to be possible to exist. So I thank you guys an awful lot. There's also a plain old PayPal button, which, again, is, is fantastic for just, you know, throwing a, you know, $5 my way once or something. That works perfectly well. And then there is a Zazzle store where you can buy T-shirts and mugs and cool things which have our lovely logo on it. So, as I say, all support, greatly appreciated. What I also greatly appreciate are the panellists who give so freely of their time to come and keep me company for an hour. So, uh, guys, thank you very much for giving your time. Um Nick, let's go in the other order. So, Nick, thank you for joining us. And would you like to give the listeners any sort of links or anything? Um, Only my Twitter handle, which is uh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. If you'd like to follow me, you can. I don't actually put that much stuff on Twitter, so you might not want to. But, you know, feel free. Yeah, and we can always send a comment and say, oh, I really like the point you made. Uh, You could. Yeah, you could. (laughs) Robert, thank you very much for joining us. Do you want to give the listeners some links to the other podcasty things you do? Yeah, thank you, Bart. It's a pleasure being here with you guys. It's always fun. I do a podcast called the Tech Doctor Podcast, along with my co-host, Allison Hartley, and that's at dr-carter.com. That's the Tech Doctor Podcast. My Twitter name is Robert underscore Carter. And in our most recent Tech Doctor podcast, we did an extensive look at the Sonos music system, which was a lot of fun, but it did end up costing me a thousand dollars. So I bought a couple of their speakers. So there you go. Be careful what you podcast about. It might cost you money. You're putting me off listening to your show, Robert. $1,000 for speakers. I understand. Well, let me guess. They're really, really good speakers and worth every cent. 
Well, they are. They're, they're smart speakers that are connected uh, to the internet and they allow you to stream things such as Apple Music and many other things without any wires, just using an app on your phone. So you can have a really nice stereo system with everything that you need to make great sound built right into the speaker. It's pretty cool. That sounds like magic. Just Your music just emanates magically through these things. Yes. Cool. Excellent. And then we also have Guy. Thank you, Guy. And do you want to plug your... You're very welcome. Your very, very fun podcast on this very same podcasting network, the Stoplight Network. Uh, isn't it weird how that works that way? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gaz, Gaz Maz, uh, Gary Malpaz, and I do the, the MyMac.com podcast. You can find that over at MyMac.com. And of course, over there on iTunes, if you would like to get a hold of me, my email address is Guy, G-U-I, at MyMac.com. And I am also... On the Twitters, and my Twitter handle name, Twitter handle name, if I could speak, is Mac Parrot. <laughs> so this is why you spent so much time making loopback tie into thing into soundboard. Yeah, just just for that two seconds, it worked. It did. I heard parrots. Sounded well, it was like actually owls. Yeah, it was, was owls. It? Oh. <laughs> I don't, okay, I I don't, I don't have a, a parrot nature person. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you, listeners. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. So, guess. Sorry, I'm just boogieing out to that. Well, that's playing. You know, I'm shaking it's my so head. Catchy. I'm shaking my ass. Ass. <laughs> I'm shaking my ass. Ass. I'm shaking my ass. <laughs> ass. <laughs> I'm sorry. Guys, joke. Guys, joke. Mostly clean. I do have a tip for you. It's a very, very quick one. That's why we've been going on about nothing. Oh, no change there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm interrupting Can I do this tip? I'll be, yes, I'll be quiet now. Gaz's tips. Guys jokes. Only. Thank goodness. On the My Mac podcast.